Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Dancing on Our Disabilities show is a global forum where you're invited to share your personal story of survival and triumph over disability. A meeting place to gather information from experts in the medical community and additional resources for the enrichment of society. A group dedicated to bringing information, support, and love into the lives of people with disabilities as well as their caregivers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to NSI and COOD Radio. I'm Myra, your host. NSI is short for Never Say Impossible. And D-O-O-D is short for Dancing on Our Disabilities. Our topic today is going to be included as part of the big picture if you are a minority. Specifically, if you are a person with a physical limitation. Being part of any minority is not something one would choose if they had an option. Because basically, it means you are a small part of the majority and, much of the time, excluded in some way or another. If you have a disability, have you ever felt that society forgot about you because access to something you wanted to do was difficult? However, now as we move into 2017, Things are changing for the better. Anyone with a disability can safely travel and vacation without feeling like it's going to end up more of a nightmare than a vacation. Boy, if I had a few of those. Who is making these wonderful changes behind the scenes? Today, we're going to be talking to Ron Pettit, who is Senior Manager Disability Inclusion and ADA Compliance at Royal Caribbean Cruises, LTD. He is responsible for the accessible guest experience and product development, as well as Americans with Disability Act, ADA, compliance for three global brands. Ron has been in the travel and hospitality industry for over 27 years with more than 19 years of managing accessibility programs. Oh, he's like music to our ears. Before joining Royal Caribbean in 2006, he spent 17 years at Northwest Airlines. He was responsible for improving the air travel experience for over 3.3 million annual customers with disabilities and ensuring compliance with the Air Carrier Access Act. His efforts resulted in making Northwest Airlines the first choice option for people with disabilities 
and I'm so excited to introduce you to Ron. Welcome, Ron, to NSI and DOOD Radio. Hi, Myra. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm delighted to have you here today and talking about all the wonderful things you do to make our lives better. <laughs> now, let me take you back a while to when you graduated from school and you were entering the job market. Why did you choose this path? Myra, it's been a journey. I mean, I didn't actually start out this way. I, you know, when I was growing up, I have always wanted to work for the airlines. Um, a story that I have is, you know, I was born hard of hearing. Um, they didn't know that um, at the time. And we were staying at my grandmother's house in Skokie, Illinois. And, you know, it's right underneath the flight path of Chicago O'Hare Airport. When you have a hearing loss, there's you can only hear like certain loud sounds like airplane engines. And so literally the second word was um, that I ever said was airplane. You know, you kind of think, you know, tattoo and fantasy island, but you kind of get this image of a, you know, uh, a toddler that's saying airplane and he couldn't hear. And so from that point on through the years, I became fascinated about, you know, airlines and the airplanes. And, and it was always my goal to work for an airline. And I even went to college to um, to get a degree in aviation management. So I, I got a job with Northwest Airlines, literally right out of college. And then I was working at the airport um, and doing my thing. And one of the things I should tell you, is you mentioned college, um, I got a you know, did some studies in aviation management, but I also had a major in communication arts and sciences. So I figured that I would end up working for the airlines and maybe doing something like in marketing and PR, but I'll probably start out at the airport first, and that's what I did. So I started working for Northwest right out of college, and when I left the airport and went to the headquarters in Minneapolis, St. Paul, they said to me, oh, Ron, part of your job, or you're going to be dealing with our policies and procedures for customers with disabilities. And so I thought that was interesting. And as I began to do that, I sort of found my passion for making air travel accessible. And that's kind of how I got started into this whole journey of being you know, a disability advocate, disability inclusion. Um, it's through my experience at Northwest Airlines, you know, starting out dealing with guests with disabilities and air travel. You know, it's strange when you said you were a toddler and they didn't know you were hard of hearing because hearing is an invisible disability. People don't realize physically that, that you have a challenge. When they did discover it, how old were you? I was probably about a couple of years old at that point because they kind of realized that some of my language skills weren't developing, and so they kind of said, well, let's test this hearing to see if that is an issue. And then they realized that I was hard of hearing, and then eventually, a few years later, I, you know, 
got hearing aids, which helped a lot. Um, I kind of didn't understand what the hearing aids were supposed to do, and those in the back in the day, you know, in the late 60s where, you know, it, you had these body aids where it was like a little clunky box um, <laughs> you wore yeah. on your chest and it was strapped on, and then you had your, um, you know, ear molds in there, and I just didn't like all this stuff, and so I kind of... Got I'm laughing because I, I really the hearing get aids it. Down on the floor, I stomped on the hearing aids and I broke them a few times. And then I was told, to, "You need to stop doing that. They're here to help you." Um, so um, I sort of had to learn that I needed to rely on help, you know, assistance in order for me to hear. Okay, let's go back to school. Now you're five, six years old, and you're going to school with other kids. And, and I do remember, because I'm laughing about your description of the paraphernalia that you had to wear, which no one wants to be seen as a minority in any way different, especially kids. So how did you deal with the fact that other children may say to you, what is that stuff? Why do you have that? Well, I mean, it was difficult because, you know, having the body aid was sort of like made you stand out. And so I think initially I was sent to special schools where it was sort of um, a hard of hearing schools. Um, and eventually, though, my parents decided, and this was like in the early days of 70s where they started to become things mainstream children with disabilities in public schools. And that was really kind of a change, big change, because really, you know, children with disabilities kind of got sent off to separate schools and received a separate education. And so I was sort of in the early days of when they were mainstreaming kids into um, public schools, and that became a little more inclusive environment. And then I graduated from having these clunky body aids to sort of behind-the-ear hearing aids. And then, of course, in the 70s, you know, longish hair was in style. So I was kind of wearing long hair to kind of hide the hearing aids. So then it, 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 I was trying to hide my hearing loss, sort of speak, and I could fit in a little bit better. Um, but because I'm having hearing loss, I didn't quite catch on to a lot of things that were being said. So I missed stuff. And it kind of, you know, where a lot of hard of hearing children and people tend to do, they sort of just nod their head or just pretend that they understand or, or play along a little bit. Um, and you become really skilled in terms of looking at body language. You learn how to, if you don't hear all the words, you try to learn how to take, get information out of context of like every third word I've heard, I would figure out is what they were trying to say to me. And so those are like coping skills that I learned growing up. And the reality is, Mara, it's, it's kind of like it is what it is. If I didn't do this, I wouldn't function or, or have a life. And I think this was um, something that I saw in a really great customer service video it's nothing special. This is what we do in order to have a life. I never really thought a lot about that until much later where I kind of realized I have a disability. I identified myself as a person with a disability. 
because I just thought it was no different than just like wearing a pair of glasses. And every, a lot of people wear glasses. But I didn't see a lot of people with hearing loss or hearing aids. That's my journey. You were in that, in that minority, and you did your very best not to stick out as a minority, which I think is very normal. When you're not in the mainstream in some way, everybody wants to be part of it, so they do whatever they can to fit in. And I think that was very wise. What I have learned about hearing loss that I didn't realize for many years is that it isolates you a great deal from situations. So as you described so well, that you became very skilled at pretending that you understood everything and everyone that was speaking around you and the entire complexity of the conversation. So I I really respect the fact that you were able to blend in so well. And I'm very grateful for your passion to make life easier behind the scenes for others with disabilities. So I think that's a huge accomplishment. The work that you did at the airlines, it's amazing to me because I remember when everything was a struggle when you had a disability because it was nobody was aware was it difficult for you to get the executives within the corporation to listen to you when you felt there was a need that needed to be addressed no it was not that difficult i mean i think that senior management understand the the notion of being inclusive and attracting many different types of customers. I think that the executives, senior management realized that um, by going after this market, it's the, not only the right thing to do, but it's good business sense. You know, they are a market worth going after in terms of the dollars and the, and the impact to the bottom line. There's always challenges in terms of changing the mindset. I think one of the best examples I have is, is when I was at, at the airline and then we created a customer advisory board and it's made up different people with disability. And this was sort of my way to include people with disabilities in our process in improving customer service for customers with disabilities. So we had an advisory board made up with different disabilities and one of the things that we did was invite vice presidents, you know, senior management to the advisory board meetings. And after one of the meetings, you know, I had a vice president, you know, say to me, say, Ron, thank you so much for inviting me. This is really great. You know, the gentleman in the wheelchair made a comment and I said, we really need to do something to address his issue. And the, the light bulb kind of went off. The, the funny part of the story is, his issue in question was something that I've been campaigning for a number of years to do, and it just never took you know, traction. Now I've got vice president that listened to a wheelchair user, and then and the light bulb went off. So I took advantage of that opportunity to make it happen 
you've got to take advantage of those opportunities when they're presented, especially when there are things that, you know, that you've been advocating for for a long time and it just hasn't seemed to quite take the traction as you had hoped. And so it's, it's always a journey. And, you know, there's lots and lots of things that we still need to do. It's not perfect, um, but I think we've made progress. Things have, I've been doing this for a long time, and there's been progress. Um, and I think that's wonderful because that is kind of where I get my passion is making a difference. You know, one of the things that I love to fly, I love to cruise, I love to travel and to go to places, meet people, learn new cultures, and I want everybody to do that. And so this is sort of making it possible for people with disabilities to do the same thing I do. That's very well put because that's what I'm trying to get at. No one really wants to be a part of a minority. And, and I mean not having anything to do with their ethnic background or the religion or anything, they just want to be included. They may be very proud of their ethnic background, their religion, or even the fact that they might have a disability that they've mastered. It's just when you feel that you don't have the same opportunity as other people that being a minority gets upsetting. It's like, what do you mean I can't? There's only stairs, 500 stairs, you know, to get on the plane. There's no other way. And that's where I see you coming in behind the scenes. Nobody knows how much easier it's gotten over the years. What do you think we need to do moving forward to make it even better? I have found that over the years, it is all about communication. It's all about education and awareness. I think one of the things you've mentioned is about people with disabilities, when you look at someone with a disability, the whole idea is just that there's something that doesn't work. They can't hear, they can't walk, they can't do something. And the problem is that a lot of people put a lot of stock into that, in what they can't do. Um, and it becomes a defining nature of the person. And that's the challenge. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with that because sometimes the disability can't be fixed. It's just there. It's not going to change and make it worse. And so people are sometimes frustrated. When I talk to people without disabilities, they look at someone with a disability and they say, I, I, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, I'm uncomfortable. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I offend them? So it, it, there's a lot of stuff, emotion that happens in that transaction. So really the thing that I have done and, I, and has resonated over the years, it's really helped our employees to feel comfortable with someone with a disability and say, get past the disability kind of thing and kind of say, look at them as a person you know, it's kind of like something I think that we've talked about in the past is this whole people first language where it kind of stops you, say, saying a disabled person, you say a person with a disability. And that is so fundamental in terms of disability etiquette and understanding because you're really talking about the person 
and you're not quite so concerned about the disability. Now, we all have to be concerned about that at some point because they may have a need because they have a disability, so now they need an accommodation because they're not able to walk, they're not able to hear, or they're not able to see. You kind of have to help them with that. And the best way to do that is to ask questions. A lot of people sometimes, and that's the other point that I always get into, is don't lump everybody in the same category. Oh, hello. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> it's, it's kind of saying, you know, all wheelchair users are like this. And it's not. It, 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 it's, it's a tough battle because I've, you know, been in the role of having to teach employees how to deal with people with disabilities. And sometimes, and as my teachers say, when you see a wheelchair user, this is what you need to kind of do. But we always throw the caveat into the conversation today. Yes, this is what we're going to tell you how to interact with, a, with someone who is a wheelchair user. But then you do need to ask the question, how can I best assist you? And, and listen to the person about, because you may have to tweak it. And that is really all about what I try to do in terms of a lot, um, many of the things that we do. We look at people as individuals. We take a look at their individual needs. We tweak what we have to say or do based on that person. And again, it's all about caring about people in the process. And that's, and that's just fundamental. It's interesting, the word, well, disabled. Let's take that word. I have a pet peeve about it because it lumps a whole segment of society into one bag. And if you, if you actually look at the word, it's an extremely negative word because, yes, it's true, something about that person is not functioning totally, whether it's their eyesight, their hearing, their physical ability to move around, or their cognizant ability. But when you lump everyone together into that descriptive, that awful descriptive word, it takes away your identity. So someone who is as brilliant as you, as highly functioning as you are, who happens to have a hearing impairment that is well-managed, is put into that bag of disabled, which means broken, not usable, not fixable, this, that, and the other. Good grief, it's such a negative description. And I realized that why it happened, what happened during the ADA that we went from horrible descriptive words like crippled and handicapped and then finally disabled. But it's so vast that I think it brings down what we think when we hear that we are going to be meeting somebody with a disability. And I don't know how we fix that. Do you think there's a way to fix it? Well, there's a couple of things I wanted to say about that. I think that was a really great point. The first one is, is what we teach, and it's also very basic in disability sensitivity and etiquette training that many companies do, not just you know the companies I've worked for. It's really using people-first language. It's really taking the word disabled and turning it into 
person with a disability. It takes a little longer to say. I have I, even today. I still have to pause to kind of keep myself saying people first language because it takes a little longer. But what it really does focus you is they're a person first, and oh by the way, they have a disability, and it's a it's a factual thing. You know, some of the terms that you were using were like crippled and uh, handicapped, and they're sort of like this what I would call sensationalistic words, meaning that it's meant to um, invoke um, a negative image. And in some cases, if you're trying to evoke pity, yeah, you can use those terms, but they're really not appropriate terms to be using. So we kind of focus on people first language. Now, there was another conversation I've had in the last past week with other advocates because they were trying to come up with terminology that sort of continues to lump um, people into a single bucket. And they were trying to talk a little bit about, you know, people who have cognitive, intellectual, developmental disabilities, and they're trying to come up with an umbrella term that describes all of those. And and the point I made really was is that technically the terms are separate. They each are not synonymous. And so the hard part is, is that if you use one term to represent the other, you start to confuse people. And again, it's all based on who is you're trying to talk to and the terminology you're using it for. And some people may not understand the different nuances between the different categories, um, but it just perpetuates confusion because if you don't use the right terminology, at the end of the day, you're doing a disservice for everybody. So, again, it kind of goes back to the whole point of recognizing people as individuals and in relating to their specific needs. Because what I do, and it's really talk about how do we accommodate people with disabilities, whether it's on the airplane or on a cruise ship, we're trying to figure out how can we accommodate people. And in order to do that, I have to understand what your needs are. And so knowing your condition, say, somebody will say, oh, I have cerebral palsy. Okay, thank you for sharing that information, but it doesn't give me anything. Assume that the service provider may not actually know what cerebral palsy means or what it's, the needs are. So, and even if you talk to any people with cerebral palsy, each individual may have a different set of needs. It may also gravitate day by day or time of day. So I really need the guest or the customer to kind of articulate what their specific needs are. And that's part of what we try to teach our employees to do is to get those skill set out. And a lot of this, it's really going back to the whole idea of communication and understanding and assuming that one, I don't know a lot of stuff. And I'm very knowledgeable. I have a long, a lot of years of experience and a lot of knowledge but I don't know everything. And that is why I have my advisory boards. I have, you know, um, advisors and people that I consult on a regular basis because through them, I learn more. And it's always an ongoing process. You know, some people tell me to sit there and say, oh, well, if you're, you know, you understand autism, then you're done. But <laughs> it's not. It's I don't view it as a as a process that ends. I view it as an ongoing process because every, you know, there are new advances, there are new things we learn, 
about each of the conditions um, and there are new way, new needs, new accommodations that come out. And so it's, I just view it as an constant ongoing process that requires us to continue to be open to learning and understanding and then as well as communicating all of that. Mm, I agree with you, but I also think there is a part of this where the onus falls on the person who has the issue. Disclosure is very important, even if you want the people that you are disclosing to to feel comfortable with you. So I think if we could learn on some level to be able to say, I do have some limitations, and I want you to know about that. I need grab bars in the bathroom, and I need a bed of a certain level, and so forth. All those things that if you have not had an intimate relationship with someone with limitations, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't understand what their issues are. So it's not just the general public that has to change. I think we, well, I'm saying we because I have a disability, we have to learn to be open and honest if we want to be treated as equals when we're out in society. So I agree with you, but I think it's a, a two-way street. We, we can't hide. I can't hide because I use a scooter, so it's very obvious. There's something, there's a reason that I'm in that scooter. But I think people should be more open. The ones that are struggling with the challenge or have mastered that challenge, be more open. The way you said to me when I met you, you said to me, by the way, I have hearing loss, and if I ask you to repeat something, it's only because I didn't hear you the first time or hear you completely. And that made me very comfortable with the fact that, I mean, if you had asked me to repeat, I would have said, what's wrong? Did I not say it loud enough? If I didn't know. So I think we need a general change. The people have to stop being angry about being disabled and feeling out of the loop and be more open. And therefore, society will be more open. Right. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I have always viewed this process as a two-way street because obviously as a company, we need to tell you what we can do for you but it's up to the person with disability to articulate what their needs are and, and to be specific about that. Sometimes people will assume that you know, like, can't you tell by looking at me what my needs are? It's like, I don't know what your needs are. I'm, can you tell me some more about what you need? Because, again, some people, I think part of sometimes is that we live in a society that's a little bit on the fast track. So we're looking for the shortcut. We're looking to do things quickly. You know, the airlines are all about on-time departures, and, you know, it's kind of like move, move, move. And really sometimes there's the rush factor. 
and you wanted to do things quickly and so that you could do that. It, our lives are that way. And so a lot of times, one of the essential things I have to tell people is say, slow down. <laughs> take a moment. Take a deep breath. Just spend time for a minute and talk to the customer, talk to the person, and engage in that dialogue. And then listen to what they have to say. You know, you've heard the reply says, listen for understanding and not listening for your reply, because that's what a lot of people do. When they start listening and I hear your first statement, I'm ready processing that in my mind and I'm going to respond to that, and then I'm just ignoring everything else you've said. So you really have to take the art of listening to a, to a new level and kind of really take the opportunity to spend time and to spend your process and let the other person share information about themselves because they're the expert. They're sharing important information for you. And it's kind of like a little bit of set, you know, what you were mentioning about when we met for the first time and I shared my challenge with hearing, um, I set the stage. Because like you said, if I didn't do that and then later on I said, you know, I said, oh, can you repeat that? And then, then you might get annoyed with me. says, oh, well, why is he mm-hmm. asking me to repeat? And then everybody starts getting frustrated um, through the process. The person with disability may need to take and open the stage and put the cards on the table, and then it make, immediately makes everybody comfortable about what's going to happen. And I think these are all really great points. And, you know, I think as enlightened as we are and many people are, I think it's still something that all of us, society, has to learn over time because it's not perfect. And, and, and there's the opportunity for, to continue to see, for this uh, process to evolve and to increase awareness and understanding. Perfectly said. And I want to compliment you or congratulate you on uh, what you do separate and above your position at Royal Caribbean uh, as ADA um, manager and compliance, uh, your whole department and everything that you do to make it a wonderful experience and your partnerships that you also work with. You are now involved with a nonprofit called South Florida Business Leadership Network, and you are the president of the board of directors. Tell me what's going on over there. Well, to just recap about the South Florida Business Leadership Network, um, it's an affiliate of the National U.S. Business Leadership Network. And both organizations... um, focus on promoting disability inclusion, primarily in the workplace, employment of people with disabilities, hiring, training, retaining people with disabilities as employees, but they also focus on marketplace, customers, guests with disabilities. Um, They also focus on supplier diversity. So those are the areas of focus for both the national and the local affiliate of the BLN. I've been on the board of directors for the South Florida uh, affiliate for a couple of years now, and um, they recently asked me to um, step up and become the president of the board of directors, and I was so honored and I am excited about that opportunity. So 
what does the South Florida BLN do? Well, we have a lot of different activities. Um, we have regular quarterly workshops that focus on those topics of disability inclusion and talking about employment of people with disabilities. They also have a annual connections event, which is a an award and networking event um, that is held every year. And it also promotes disability inclusion um, and it provides several um, keynote speakers. So it's a really exciting event. So we're focusing in 2017 in terms of adding more companies and members as part of the affiliates to grow um, the, the um, organization and to do more even bigger and better things um, as the affiliate. So I'm excited to be part of the South Florida Business Leadership Network and to look forward in, um, to working with everyone. Well, you are definitely doing that, Ron, and you're definitely making a difference. And you do it humbly. <laughs> so that's what I think is so special about you. You have this sensitivity. You seem to naturally understand what other people's needs are, and you convey that to not only to the people who work under you, who are responsible for making things convenient travel-wise on high seas for people vacationing, but you also do it in everyday life. So that's a very special quality, and that's why I want to celebrate you for working so quietly behind the scenes to improve the quality of life for other people. What words of inspiration would you like to offer the youth of today just entering the job market and feeling that they're, I'm not even going to use the word disability because it's so vast, their personal limitations, whatever they are, and they could be learning, they may have difficulty with math, or they may be frightened to speak publicly and have real problems communicating on a sophisticated level, or they may have cerebral palsy or something more life-changing. What would you like to say to help them know that the world is their apple if they accept it as such. So one of the things I kind of said along that, you know, I love what I do and I love making travel possible for people with disabilities. And so I kind of like to work on the word possible because in, in kind of your scenario that you're describing and, you know, when you're getting started in the workforce and you're getting your first job and you're starting to think about it's going to be impossible. But really, your life has already been a journey of impossibilities, meaning that you have obstacles and you have to overcome them. A lot of individuals have to think about the fact that, yes, I have a disability, but I've overcome that. I learned shortcuts. I've learned workarounds. I've learned to deal with the negative stereotypes images, those sorts of things where, you know, that's already giving you a sense of 
accomplishment because and look at it as an accomplishment and look at them as opportunities or possibilities. So a lot of times people say, oh, you know, going into the workforce, it's impossible. You're going to have challenges. And, and you know, I've heard this said before. It sounds kind of trite, but you take the word impossible and it says, I'm possible. Um, and I truly believe that because it is about you. Only you can make it possible, and you need to believe in yourself um, to do that. I was lucky when I was growing up because one of the things that happened was when they found out I had a hearing loss, and, you know, the doctors were talking to my parents, and they kind of said, you know, you're going to be lucky if he goes to regular schools. You're going to be lucky (laughs) if he earns C's in schools. They were already kind of discounting my entire life and saying, Maybe he's not going to go to regular school. Maybe, but even if he did, he's only going to be average. And my father, you know, um, he's in the army, so he's got very high expectations of himself, and he has expectations for me. And he says, you know, no son of mine is going to earn C. He's going to earn A's. Now, I didn't earn a all straight A's, but I learned <laughs> a lot of A's, and that is because my parents believed in me, and I think that's important when you realize that there are people in your life, they believe in you and take ownership of that and kind of use that as your guiding force when things become challenging. Um, And then you also have to internalize it. A lot of times, you know, I was telling you about my childhood and there's a lot of difficulty that I've had. And somehow I made it through all that, no matter what the kids said and all the challenges, I sort of just did it. And, and so I think those some of the words of advice that I would give to you know young adults entering the workforce and say, believe in yourself and really look at the opportunities. Don't make it about your disability, but about what you can do, your abilities and what you can do. Beautifully said, Ron. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us and to inspire some people who may be feeling that the cards are stacked against them. So once again, for everything that you do to make life better for us, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Byron. It's been a pleasure to be here. You know, I really, like I said, I love what I do, and I just get excited every day about being able to make that happen. And I get excited that you are doing it. And for everybody in cyberspace, thank you for listening. Visit us on facebook.com forward slash dancing on your disabilities or our other page, facebook.com forward slash never say impossible. Very apropos to our conversation. Remember to like the page when you visit. You can also visit my website at myragolic.com. And you will find all the ways to listen to the show. We are listed as MSI and DOOD Radio on TalkShoe.com, Stitcher.com, iTunes, TuneIn, and of course on my website in the show archives. And don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter announcing our guests on my blog page. Until next time. 
you've been listening to Dancing on Our Disabilities, a production created for the people and by the people. If you wish to contribute information, your story, or reliable, validated medical information to our program, please visit Myra Goldick or visit our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash dancing on our disabilities. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.